All right, so tonight we come to one of the most beloved passages in the Sermon on the Mount, and one of maybe the most beloved passages in the Gospels, and it's Jesus' call to not be anxious or to not be worried. I'm going to read the whole passage, but, but because there's so much richness in these nine verses, we're going to spend two weeks considering Jesus' words here about not being anxious. Tonight we'll be considering verses 25 through 30. Next week we'll finish up by looking at verses 31 through 34. But allow me to read the whole passage for context and then I'll pray for our time. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take these truths and lodge them deep into our hearts. Father, give us faith for We confess, Lord, often we are people with little faith. So may the words of Christ now produce in us lives which fully believe in the good news that you are offering us. Help us, Lord, in this moment we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this is one of the most famous passages in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a sense by just reading the passage alone, we get this grandeur. In fact, the way that this passage has been described to me before, and maybe some of you, if you've been around me enough, I've, I've shared this same illustration, is imagine one day you're at home and you get a knock on the door. And as you open the door, you see Jesus. And you're a little surprised but this is an illustration, so just kind of go along with it. And Jesus says, hey, let's go on a walk. And so with nothing to do, you put on your shoes and you begin to go on a walk with Jesus. And he always seems to be kind of like three or four steps ahead of you. And for the first maybe hour or two of the walk, he actually doesn't say anything to you at all. And you find yourself on a trail that leads you up a cliff and it leads you around some streams of water. And eventually, maybe 90 minutes into this random walk with Jesus, 
he turns and he, and he looks at you. And he says, do you see these birds in their nest? Do you see the, the streams of water? Do you see that great view? I made all of that. And you're like, yeah, Jesus, you did make all of that. And then he just begins to walk further. And as you follow him, you notice the things that he stops to look at. You notice the things that catch his attention. You notice that he's mindful of all of creation. And when the distance and time have gone on long enough and it seems awkward that he hasn't talked to you much, he finally stops and he says, don't you know that all of these things that we've seen today, that I care far more about you than any of this? And it's as if Jesus doesn't even need to say anything more for our hearts to begin to melt. That Jesus can use creation as the best teacher to show us that the things that we occupy, our worries and our anxieties, shouldn't actually concern us. And I like that way because before we jump into this passage, I think it's important that we do personalize it. I think it's important for us to actually vividly imagine Jesus with gentleness and tenderness telling us, don't be anxious. Don't worry. This is a passage right when coronavirus kind of became a thing and we shut down the youth group and the church and this is back in the day when we were being told that two million people were going to die and we were all in quarantine. The very first message I recorded was actually on this passage. And at the time, I was, I was highly influenced by D.A. Carson's thoughts on this passage. And the reason why I thought it was so helpful what he had to say, and I'll, I'll share with you again with what I said and what, what I was influenced by him, is because this is a passage where if we don't have careful interpretation and some nuance, that this passage can actually be received and preached in such a way that it leads to more harm than good. And so when we come to passages like this, where Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. In fact, eight times in the period of these nine verses, Jesus will give the command, do not be anxious, or do not worry. Eight times. He mentions anxiety and worry. There's a sense in which we can kind of just take that very broad stroke and just tell people in the middle of grief, in the middle of sorrow, in the middle of their life just kind of imploding on them, hey man, just don't worry. Lighten up. And so imagine with me, there's, there's three people in church and they all hear this passage. Imagine there's three people now. And one person is just the carefree, go-lucky they don't care about much in life. They don't think about the future. Today has enough problems. And, you know, I have a 10-page paper, but that's a tomorrow me problem, right? That's not a today me problem. That tomorrow's, tomorrow's Aaron to take care of that issue. Just very carefree, lackadaisical, doesn't work hard, and just kind of approaches life in such a manner. 
second person is someone who does worry a lot, who is constantly watching the news, who is constantly worried about their future, and who hears this passage being preached and read, and they receive it in such a way where they actually say, you know what, I worry way too much. And, and you know what, you're right, I've got to stop worrying. And, and ironically and very sadly, they, be, they begin to worry about worrying too much. And the third person is someone who has just received tragic news that one of their loved ones, one of their family members, only has a few months to live. And there's a sense in which, imagine all three people hearing this passage being read and being preached in such a way that says, hey, life isn't that hard. Don't worry. It almost leads the first person to kind of say, see guys, I told you, you're all just too serious. Just lighten up. Don't worry. Be happy, right? Sing the Bob Marley song more. <laughs> right? When in fact, the third person, who maybe it does have a faith that is strong and mature, hears those words and says, you don't understand. My wife is dying. And just to come up to me and say, hey, don't worry about it. Do you understand that we have kids and I have bills and responsibilities and my wife is going to die and all you want to say is, hey, just don't worry. This is why we must interpret Scripture with clarity, with precision. That we don't get to just wield passages like this however we see fit. We must rightly approach Scripture, rightly apply it. And doing that forces us to understand the context of where this passage fits in. And so because it's been a month or so since we've looked at this passage, just do me a favor and scroll back up to chapter 6. Again, remember, the whole Sermon on the Mount, if you want a very broad stroke of the sermon, is what does it look like for someone to live in the kingdom of God? Another way of saying that, what does it look like to have Jesus as king? What do the citizens of God's kingdom look like, right? And we started in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes or the, the operating principles or values We talked about what does our righteousness look like as kingdom citizens. But as we got into chapter 6, the whole chapter can really be summarized as this. God first. God first. The person living in God's kingdom is a person who cares more about what our Father thinks of us than what men think of us. Right? When we pray, when we give to the poor, when we fast and we do religious things, we are not first mindful of what other people think of us. We are first mindful of our Heavenly Father. And that's why the most famous prayer in the Bible, given in Matthew chapter 6, begins with the words, Our Father. But more than just God first in in, in our relationships with others, Look at verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And at the very end of that passage, a very important verse, look what he says in verse 24. 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And here is the principle. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is making a point in in the middle of the sermon, right? In the middle of the middle of the sermon, what's his point? It is either God or it is another God. You cannot have both. You cannot have one hand in the world and one hand in your relationship with God. For either you will hate the one and despise the other. Now do me a favor. Look now at verse 25, the passage we are considering. The very first word in my Bible says, therefore. Therefore. It is very sad to me that most people, when they talk about this passage about do not be anxious, skip right over that word. They totally forget that Jesus just made a very important point. And his point was this. You cannot be someone who tries to accumulate all the world's material possessions and you try to live a life of greed, a life of yours into yourself, a life of I want to have more money, more trips, more houses, more popularity, and serve God. So Jesus says... It's not that your treasures, desires for treasures are bad. It's that you desire them in the wrong place. The logical question to what Jesus says here is this. All right, Jesus. If it's so wrong to have worldly possessions, though, what about like the very fact that I have a a family to provide for? I have basic needs to me. I, I need to go work a job so that I can feed myself. I need to make money in order to have clothes and a house. Like, what are you saying? Like, I can't lay up for myself treasures on earth, but like, Jesus, I need these things. And the point and the principle that Jesus is making is this. That even pursuing the very things that we need to live and to thrive can take a priority in our heart that leads us to be ineffective in the kingdom of God. You see, what's interesting about these two passages, the first passage being 19 through 24 and 25 through 34 being the second passage, is Jesus is saying this. You can be someone where you are just full of greed and consumerism And that ultimately is going to stop you from serving God in the kingdom. But you can also be someone where even in your pursuit of the normal things of life, where you are so worried and anxious about providing for yourself that it takes away your priority from serving God. You see, in essence, he's just kind of giving us another way in which our hearts would rather live for the here and now than live for the kingdom of God. And so what I want to do for us is I want to talk about just these five verses, how Jesus, he gives us a principle, and then he gives two examples to kind of follow up his principle. 
And then after we kind of walk through the passage, I want to give us three takeaways that I think Jesus would have for us as we consider the anxiety and fear in our life. So really quick, the principle, look at verse 25. This is the principle he gives for the whole passage here. Therefore, I tell you. Now again, he is drawing off what he just said. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The principle that Jesus gives us is this, that our lives were not meant for simply surviving. Our lives were not designed for simply trying to get through this life by accumulating things, getting enough food to just live to the next day. Life was actually meant for something much more than just getting our basic needs and surviving. And so Jesus is saying, if your life that God has given you, that God graciously gives us life, is more than just kind of surviving, don't worry and don't be anxious about all of the small things that you have. It's a very simple premise, but it's much harder to actually live. If I'm being honest, there aren't many people here in this room who are worried about making sure that we have enough food for tomorrow. I'm not saying that there aren't people in our community who don't worry about money. I'm certainly not saying that there aren't people in the world who don't worry about these things. But if I'm being honest, most of us in this room right now, we can go home and we can look in the pantry and we can look in the refrigerator and there's enough food to last us for, for at least a week, I would assume. And so what does it mean for us to not worry about the basic essentials of life? What, what, what's the principle that Jesus would have for us? And, I, and here, here's what I think it means for us people who maybe aren't so worried about these things. There is always going to be something in your life that you think is the most important thing for you to have other than knowing and living for your creator. You see, you might not be worried about food, but you might be worried about getting the right grades for a school, the right friends, the right certain person to notice you. You might be worried about what people think of you, right? You might be worried about having the right looks so that people admire you. The truth is that all of us at times have a deep struggle with worrying about making sure that we will have enough. And Jesus is trying to say, hey, listen, your life is more than the stuff you accumulate. And so even the good things we need can take a priority in our hearts that take us away from making God the center of our lives. Really quick, do me a favor. Keep your finger on Matthew chapter 
6 and turn a few pages over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives this very important parable. So we're going to start in verse 3. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Now, a few verses later, his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, that whole parable about like the different kind of plants growing up, what does that mean? All right, so look what he says. Um, Look down uh, in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, right? So this is what we're talking about every week in the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom. And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. See, Jesus here is actually describing to us the seed that was on the thorny soil. That there are going to be people who hear the gospel, who hear the good news of Jesus, and it looks as if they accepted it. It looks as if they became Christians. But what ends up happening is they become so preoccupied about the cares and the desires of the world that ultimately those desires and those cares for the things that we need here overtake our love for the Lord and eventually it chokes out that seed of faith and that seed of faith dies. It is a very common temptation for us to consider I need more things. I want more security. I want more fun. I want more relationships. And all of those things are not bad in of themselves. Jesus is simply saying, don't let your heart be worried by them. And he gives two reasons of why. Two examples. Do me a favor. Go ahead and look back down to Matthew chapter 6. The first example that Jesus gives about why we should not be anxious is because God provides both food and life. Verse 26, Jesus, again, he uses nature as our teacher. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So Jesus looks at the sparrow, the little bird, and he says, look at these birds. You don't see them fretting and worrying about the natural things of life. They have a heavenly father who takes care of them. Now, this is the same type of argument that the Apostle Paul gives in Romans 8. In Romans 8, Paul raises this rhetorical question and he says, Who can bring any charge against God's elect? And Paul, like resounding, gives this glorious resounding answer. And he says, If God would spare his own son for us, how much more then? How much more than will he take care of those whom he spared his own son for? In essence, what Jesus is saying here, if, if your heavenly father is willing to take care of the sparrow, how much more than is he willing to take care of your issues, of your needs? You know, I, I found this little poem a number of places. It seems like everyone has to quote this, and so I figured if everyone else was doing it, I would too. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And I think that little poem rightly describes the temptation of our hearts. The reason why we are so worried and anxious is ultimately we forget that it is God who provides everything that we need. That if God cares about all of his nature, how much more than will he care about his covenant children? You see, I don't know all the hearts of everyone in this room and all the problems that you carry around and all the silent sufferers of the insecurities that we face and the, and the fears of what people may think of us. And, and if I'm being honest, maybe some of the deepest fears we have is the fear of man. But I think maybe one of the most glorious truths that we can take away from this passage is, is Jesus' insistence for us to know that God cares, that God provides, that God loves us. And then Jesus adds this very interesting phrase in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So in essence, what Jesus is teaching us here is that worry and anxiety ultimately are counterproductive. You see, this is what Jesus cares about. He cares about those who are in his kingdom, who have ambition and who have a priority for serving and seeking the kingdom. Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus cares about your ambitions. He cares about your desires. He cares about what you think is important. And Jesus is saying, For you to be in my kingdom means that you have an all-encompassing approach to life in which everything now revolves around 
my relationship with you. And what begins to happen in our life is when we ultimately care too much about just existing and living in life and getting the right kind of car and getting the right kind of house is that our ambitions are no longer about serving the king but are simply about surviving in this world. And so anxiety and worry, therefore, become counterproductive. And Jesus even says, do you realize that even worrying and having anxiety about these things, it doesn't actually do anything for you? One of the things that was very freeing for me, and and it took me a long time to realize this, is that I would go into a class in college and I would take a final and I would feel pretty shaky about it. You know that feeling when you take a test, you're like... And I would just go home and worry and have knots in my stomach like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a bad grade. This ain't going to be good. And then I realized something. The test is done. I can't change it. The grade I'm going to get is the grade I'm going to have. And so I finally learned the second I turned in that Scantron, that test, oh, what's done is done. I'm just going to live with the consequences and the Lord knows what he's doing. And if I pass the class, great. If not, oh well. There's a sense in which when we fear and we worry and we have anxiety, it makes us counterproductive. And so Jesus gives the principle in verse 25. In the first example, he uses life and food as an illustration. And the second example Jesus gives is clothes and body. Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. So ultimately... Jesus ties our worry and our anxiety to the issue of faith. To the issue of faith. Now let me say just a quick word. Sometimes we use that word faith simply to describe saving faith. Right? When we say come have a relationship with Jesus that he died on the sin died on the cross for your sins that he rose again that you can have new life in him and you just need to believe in Jesus that, that's referring to saving faith but that same faith that begins a relationship with Jesus also needs to grow and what Jesus is referring to is that sometimes even when we have a relationship with Jesus our faith is really, really small. We think that God isn't going to provide for us. We think that God isn't that interested in our lives. We think that God is aloof to the problems and the miseries we have in life. As a matter of fact, what Jesus is saying, when we worry too much about the things of our life, it is reflecting a small faith. And so ultimately, what what do we need to do to grow in our faith? To grow in our belief that God is trustworthy. That God actually cares. 
you know, a, a book that's been very helpful to me recently is this book called Gentle and Lowly. And, and the author, Dane Ordlin, I think rightly says that maybe one of the saddest effects of the sin that entered the world in the garden is not that it led to all the miseries and sufferings of the world, but that it left a suspiciousness that we have towards our Creator. And so ultimately, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, hey, in my kingdom, being an anxious person, being worried about all the things that you need in life is incompatible with the life of faith. With the life of faith. So really quick, three takeaways. One, um, a lack of worry doesn't mean that we don't work hard. So when Jesus says, hey, food, come on, don't worry. God's just going to provide it. Don't worry about it. What he is not saying is he's not saying that that gives you a license to not actually work hard, to go and to provide for yourself, to educate yourself, to equip yourself, to get a job. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul would later say in some of his epistles that the man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. That the man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. The book of Proverbs has so many warnings against the sluggard who's not willing to wake up early to work hard to get a good day's worth of work. Jesus is not telling us that our priority shouldn't be to provide for our families. He's telling us that it shouldn't be an anxiety or a worry for us. As Christians, we should have the best work ethics because we don't just work and live to please men. We work and live to please our Heavenly Father. And so don't assume Jesus here is being like the first guy in that illustration. Just be carefree. Just hang out. Hey, if God gives the, the birds all of their food, you know, he'll provide for you. That's true, but he's not saying that doesn't mean we don't cooperate with the Lord. Second, a lack of worry means that we rightly seek God's kingdom. Again, the issue that Jesus has is not that we just have a bunch of worry and that's bad and you should stop being... He's worried more so about how worry crowds out our desires to live in the kingdom. And so there's a sense in which there are people in this room who are more worried about their future than they are about righteousness. There are people in this room who are more worried about their friends and what they think about them than about living a life of holiness and godliness. There are people in this room who are more worried about making more money and making their bank accounts grow than they are about knowing God and his word. There are people here who are more worried about getting a car, their social media accounts, the movies that they want to see, than they are concerned about living a life of justice. and moving closer in their relationship with God. You see, whether or not you know it, every single one of us, we have worries. And Jesus is saying, listen, life, you will have troubles in it. 
but don't let them stop you from living a life that is rightly centered on the kingdom. And we'll talk more about that next week because next week we'll look at when Jesus says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And we'll talk about what does that mean. But third, lack of worry doesn't mean that we have a carefree attitude about life. If you look at the very last verse in verse 34, Jesus says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, as as Christians, we recognize that life is hard at times. Life does bring worry. Life does bring fear. And it's not as if Jesus is saying... You can't ever have things that you're concerned about. It's not as if he's saying that if you really get a diagnosis that, that, that someone in your family is going to die soon, that, that you can't ever be thinking about that and be little afraid and worried about how you're going to provide. What Jesus is more so referring to is a worry about the trivial things of life that choke out our desire to serve and live for God. And so guys, my question for you is this. What are the things that you are more concerned about in your life that choke out your desire to live for the kingdom of God? What are the ambitions and the desires of your heart that overcrowd your desires and ambitions to live for the Lord Jesus. Because as we read on in the Gospels, what we see Jesus refer to again and again and again, that following Jesus is not a simple thing we do. In fact, when Jesus calls a person to himself, he calls that person to come and die. And so ultimately, guys, When we find ourselves with motives and ambitions and desires that do not correspond to the kingdom where Jesus is king, we need to remember that we have a God who will provide for us. We have a God who cares for us. We have a God who sent his very own son that we may be redeemed. And remembering the nature of God and remembering the gracious provision that we have in Christ, we can rightly agree with Jesus that I do not need to be anxious. I do not need to be worried. So in summary, as Christians, we still work hard. As Christians, we have the right priorities. And as Christians, we don't take life with a carefree attitude. And with that, let me pray. Father in heaven, help us to take these truths and apply them to our hearts, Lord. Forgive us for when our priorities and ambitions do not align with your kingdom. Thank you, Father, that you are a gracious God who loves us and provides all things that we need for life and righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.